So about a week and a half ago, uh, our girls, Chloe and Clara, were away at church camp. And so Hannah and I were left with our son Judah, our three-year-old son Judah. And one evening, we went out to eat to Cracker Barrel. Now, if you've never been to Cracker Barrel, uh, first of all, there's something wrong with you. But if you've never been to Cracker Barrel, what you need to understand about Cracker Barrel is when you go to eat at Cracker Barrel, you actually enter into a little country store. There's a little shop where you can, as you wait on your table, you can shop around. It's a great strategy. So because Judah has spent most of his life in pandemic life, this was the first time he's ever been to a place like Cracker Barrel. And he could not believe his eyes. As we were waiting on our table, we walked around the little country store, and uh, he'd never seen anything like this. He got so excited. And seeing the excitement in him, Han and I made a promise to him. We let him pick out one thing. And so Judah's walking around the country store there at Cracker Barrel, and he's looking for this one thing. We gave him the promise that we'd buy him something. So we had the hope that that promise would come true. Then he had the riches of dad's credit card to buy whatever he wanted. And let me show you the powerful toy that Judah picked. With the hope of the promise, with the riches of dad's credit card, Judah bought this powerful toy right here. If you can't see it from where you are, this is Mickey Mouse in a helicopter. Mickey Mouse in a helicopter. The reason I say this is a powerful toy is because it's a battery-powered toy, and if you push this little button right here, the propellers spin, and off flies Mickey Mouse. And so with the hope of a promise that I'll buy him something, with the riches of my credit card, Judah buys a powerful toy of Mickey Mouse in a helicopter. And we're gonna talk about hope, riches, and power Today, So I want you to open your Bible up to Ephesians chapter 1 as we finish out Ephesians chapter 1 by looking at verses 15 through 23. We're going to see the hope, the riches, and the, powerful, uh, the power available to us today. There on your outline on the back side of your bulletin, your worship guide, you can see we're going to look first at the text, and then second, we'll look at the takeaway. We'll see the text of when Paul prays what Paul prays, and why Paul prays. And then we'll talk about the application or the takeaway. So first, number one on your outline, the text, let's look first at when God prays. Notice Ephesians chapter one, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. The first thing I want you to see, the big thing I want you to see here in these opening verses is when Paul prays. And to put it simply, Paul prays unceasingly. Paul prays unceasingly or he prays continually. But notice what Paul says in these verses. He begins verse 15 by saying, for this reason. Well, what reason? Well, everything we saw in verses 1 through 14. 
Remember in verses one through 14, we saw this story of what God has done. He chose us, he predestined us, he redeemed us, he forgave us, he made known to us. We've obtained an inheritance in him. We've been sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. And so for all of this, Paul says, for this reason, I pray. I pray unceasingly. Notice as well a bit of background into why Paul is praying for the church there in Ephesus. He says, I've heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Notice the reputation of the church there in Ephesus that Paul has now heard. They have a faith in the Lord Jesus and they have a love for one another. This is kind of a side note, but it's important to note that these two ideas go hand in hand. Faith in the Lord Jesus leads to a love for one another. We're going to see this idea played out later in the book of Ephesians. But what I want you to see here in these opening verses is that Paul prays unceasingly. Verse 16, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. When does Paul pray? He prays unceasingly. So we think about just these first two verses and how they apply to our life today. I get convicted by this. And I have to ask myself the question, do I really believe in the importance of prayer? When I see that Paul prays here unceasingly for the church in Ephesus. Some of you might have the Life Application Study Bible, and if you do, there's a really helpful note in terms of application. It says that a church or an individual Christian who gets steady input of truth, but little or no prayer, is like a beautiful sports car without oil in the engine. It may look and sound great for a while, but sooner or later, it will break down. Prayer is the oil that keeps us running. So if the church depended on your prayers, how long and how well would the church keep running? Again, I don't know about you, that's convicting to me. But when does Paul pray? Under number one on your outline, he prays unceasingly. Now let's take a look at what Paul prays. When Paul prays unceasingly, what does he pray for? Notice verse 17. He prays that... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This is what Paul prays when he prays unceasingly for the church there in Ephesus. Now, there's a lot going on here in these verses. And as I said last week, I'm going to say to you again, we simply don't have the time to get into every exegetical possibility of every word that Paul has here. So let me give you just the big picture. What does Paul pray for when he prays for the Ephesians? The title of our message this morning is Wake Up. Ultimately, what Paul is praying for in the church in Ephesus is that they would wake up, that they would see, notice, that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that their eyes would be enlightened, that they would wake up to what God is doing. I like what John Stott says here. What is Paul's request? 
It is not that they would receive a second blessing, but rather that they would appreciate to the fullest possible extent the implications of the blessing they've already received. In other words, Paul prays that their eyes would be open to see all that God has done and God is doing for them in the church there in Ephesus. God, uh, or Paul prays that God would open their eyes to a greater knowledge of what God is doing. Notice the end goal here of Paul. In the knowledge of him, that last phrase in verse 17, I pray that your, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you may know. Paul wants them to know something. He wants them to realize, to see just what God is doing. He wants them to have the knowledge of what God is doing among them. But we have to be careful here. Because when I see words in English like knowledge and know, I think intellectual. I think that Paul, when I see that word knowledge and know in the English, I think that Paul is primarily focused on what's going on between their head, right? Between their ears. But that's really not what this word ultimately means. It starts with a head knowledge, but it leads to a transformation in their life. See, the word for know here is really a relational term. It's knowing God, not just intellectually, but personally and intimately. It's a type of knowledge that leads to a life change. And that's what Paul is praying for in the church in Ephesus. Somewhere along the line, I stole a phrase from somebody. I think it was Howard Hendricks. But uh, it's this idea that God is not in the business of making smart sinners. He's in the business of transforming saints. God is not in the business of making smart sinners. He's in the business of transforming saints through the knowledge of his word. And that's what Paul ultimately is praying for here. Listen, one of the things I love about this church, one of the things you love about this church by nature of the fact that you're here is that this is a church who is built on the truth of the scripture and praise God for that. But this is also a church that has its aim not only for us to know the word of God intellectually, but to live out the word of God relationally. And that's exactly what Paul is praying for here as we think about what Paul is praying. So when does Paul pray? He prays unceasingly. What does Paul pray? He prays that they would have this increased knowledge, relational living of who God is. But then finally notice why Paul prays. Continuing there in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing power, surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So what does Paul want the church in Ephesus to know, to live out three things. Why is he praying for them? That they would know three things. Number one, the hope of his calling. Number two, the riches of this inheritance. And number three, the surpassing greatness of his power. Paul is praying for hope, for riches, and for power. So let's take a look at each of those three things. First, hope. Paul says there, 
And verse 18, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Hope in the Bible, as you know, it's not wishful thinking, right? Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is confident expectation, primarily based on what God has promised, what God has said. And Paul here is praying that they would know the hope of his calling, the hope of God's calling on their life. Notice this, Paul is thinking back to their past calling. Last week we saw that God called us in the past, and so Paul is praying that what God has done in the past would produce a hope in the present. You see that? That here in the present day, they would look back to the past tense calling of God in their life, and it would give them a present tense hope. That's the first thing Paul Paul prays for. The second thing Paul wants them to know I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The second thing Paul wants them to know are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Well, if the hope looked to the past, the inheritance looks to the future. The inheritance, the riches that I think Paul is highlighting here looks forward to the millennial reign of Jesus when he will reward those who faithfully live for him in this life. Paul is saying, I am praying that the church in Ephesus would use the promise of a future inheritance to motivate them in the present. So the past hope influences the present. The future inheritance influences the present. And the third thing I want you to see where we're going to spend most of our time, because this is where Paul spends most of his time, is in the power. Paul prays for hope. He prays for riches. But ultimately, the big thing he's praying for here is the power. Verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Power. Power, by the way, is a big theme that we see throughout the book of Ephesians. The reason Paul talks about power so much in the book of Ephesians is because the city of Ephesus was a very powerful place. It was powerful politically. It had a major role in the Roman Empire but it was also a very powerful place spiritually. And it housed one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis. You recall in the book of Acts when Paul is in the city of Ephesus and a riot really breaks out and the crowd begins to proclaim with a loud voice over and over again, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the worship of Artemis was a big deal in the city of Ephesus. And because of this, it was a very dark place spiritually. But what I want you to notice here in Ephesians chapter one is that Paul's focus is not so that the church in Ephesus would be impressed with the power of Rome. It's not that they would be impressed with the power of Artemis, but what Paul wants them to be impressed with, what he wants to motivate their life is the power of God in Jesus that's at work in the city of Ephesus. And by the way, it's at work in the city of Dallas as well. 
Notice how Paul goes on and on to describe. The rest of chapter 1 is all about describing this power of God in Jesus that's at work there in the city of Ephesus. Notice how he describes this power. Again, verse 18, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? In accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other, words, in other words, what Paul wants the church in Ephesus to see, to wake up to, is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is also at work in the city of Ephesus in the church in Ephesus today. The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that God is still using today. I love, by the way, that when Paul is talking about the power of God, the first power of God he really highlights is the power of the resurrection. There's no more greater power than that, right? There's no greater power than the power of the resurrection. And, and I want to pause here for just a moment. And ask those of you in this room, those watching online as well, if you've ever really considered the power of God in the resurrection. The good news of the gospel, as we're going to see next week in chapter 2, is that the same power that brought Jesus to life from the dead is the same power of God that brings dead men and dead women to life today. The same power of the gospel that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power of God and the gospel that works today in the forgiveness of our sins. And if you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've never believed in him, the good news of the gospel is there's nothing you can do because you're dead. But it's based only on what Jesus has already done. And right where you are, right where you're seated, you can trust in him and walk away from here knowing that you're forgiven. So Paul says, listen, the same power of God that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power of God that's working in Ephesus today, but notice there's more. Like a good infomercial, Paul says, but wait, there's more. Verse 20, continuing, the same power of God which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. Here Paul focuses now on the power of God in the ascension of Christ. The power of God in putting Jesus at his right hand far above all spiritual powers and forces that were at work there in the city of Ephesus. Establishing Jesus as the head over all names who will ever be named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. The same power of God then is at work today in the city of Ephesus. But wait, there's more. Notice verse 22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
So not only was the power of God alive in the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, but also here in the subjecting of all things to Jesus and the establishing of Jesus as the head, the leader of the church. The same power of God that did all of these things, Paul is saying, is alive and at work in the city of Ephesus today. The same power of God is alive in the church, which he says is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, Christ is the supply. He's the source of all this power that's at play. So this is Paul's prayer. Again, to summarize, he prays that they would know God, not just intellectually, but relationally, intimately, so that they would know the hope, the inheritance, and the power that's available to them, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the same power that established Jesus at the right hand of the Father, the same power that put all things under Jesus' authority, the same power that put Jesus as the head of the church is alive and working in the city of Ephesus in Paul's day. What Paul prays is that the church in Ephesus would wake up and see it. That they would see the hope. That they would see the riches. That they would see the power of God that's at work among them. Let me go back for a minute to Judah's Mickey Mouse helicopter toy. So Judah had the hope of my promise to buy him something. He had the riches of my credit card at his disposal. And he bought this powerful Mickey Mouse helicopter toy. But what you might not know is that there was more than met the eye. What you might not know about this toy and what Judah did not know about this toy, what Judah did not know about this toy is that not only did it have a battery-powered fan inside of it, but there is a secret compartment at the bottom of it with a trap door, and out from the bottom was candy. (laughs) I did not tell Judah this because I'm a mean dad, and I didn't want him to eat candy. But he had it. He just didn't see it. As far as Judah knew, this was just a Mickey Mouse helicopter. But at some point, and I'm kidding you not, Judah turns to me and he says, hey daddy, yes Judah, you know what would be really cool? What? If there was candy in this toy. (laughs) And because I'm a mean dad and I didn't want Judah to have candy, I just said, yeah buddy, that would be really cool if that was true. (laughs) And then he went, And he started playing with this Mickey Mouse helicopter. But a little bit later, he turned to me and he said, hey, Daddy. Yes, Judah? He said, I think there is candy in this toy. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had no other choice but to peel back the little piece of tape at the bottom to show him the trap door, and I pulled out the candy, and I let him have it. But suddenly, Judah saw what was there. He saw what was available to him. He knew now that there was more than met the eye with this little Mickey Mouse helicopter. And listen, there are a lot of Christians today who are content playing around with a Mickey Mouse helicopter. There are a lot of Christians today who are just playing around in the Christian life and we don't really understand the hope the riches, and the power that's available to us today. The same power of God, the same hope, the same riches is available to us even here at Grace Bible Church. 
that God is at work, we just need to see it. So the question I want us to look at, number two on your outline, is what is the takeaway for us? How do we take a passage like this, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus to see, to wake up to the hope, the riches, the power of God that's available, that's at work in their world today? How do we understand this for us here in Dallas? Got three thoughts for you. The first one, is again, we have to understand when Paul prays that we would know, that the church in Ephesus would know, this is more than just intellectual knowledge. It's more than just increasing our biblical IQ. That's important, but it has to lead also to a transformative life. Again, God is not in the business of making smart sinners. He's in the business of transforming saints. And what he wants from us, what Paul prays and what we should pray is that as we increase in our biblical theological knowledge, it would also lead to transformation in how we live. That's the first thing. The second thing I want you to see here is that this really is a prayer. Paul is praying that the church in Ephesus would know this, would realize this, that it would impact how they live. And the fact that Paul is praying for this tells me it doesn't happen naturally. And likewise, we should be praying, God, as we hear the Bible in our adult Bible classes, in our youth, in our children's ministry, here in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning, I pray that you would open my eyes to see the hope, the riches, the power that is at work in our world today. But really, the ultimate question for us, the third thing is, okay, that's a good foundation. We need to know that God is after more than our intellect. We need to know that we need to pray for God to open our eyes and see what he's doing. But what does this really look like today for you and for me? Let me tell you where I was convicted this week. As I was studying Ephesians 1, as I was praying about this, the, the area that God brought to my mind, where I need to grow, it really comes down to when I open the news and I read what's going on in the world. When I open whatever news station you pick, whatever newspaper you subscribe to, it's really easy to get discouraged. And I confess, it's really easy to lose hope, to lose sight of what God is doing in this world, despite all of the darkness, to lose hope and to lose sight of what God is doing behind the scenes. Sometimes as I read the newspaper, I find myself feeling hopeless I find myself living as though God's power isn't at work today. So despite, again, I'm not trying to minimize the problems of our world. I'm simply trying to maximize the power of God that's still at work. And so I realize that I have to pray. I have to pray like Paul unceasingly that God would wake me up, that I would see what he is doing despite all the darkness. I have to pray that I would see God's hope in a hopeless world. I have to pray that I would see God's riches in an impoverished world. I have to pray that I would see God's power at work when all I seemingly see is Satan's power at work. 
And then I have to live as though I actually believe it. Listen, I've read ahead in the book of Ephesians. And Paul continues this idea of power throughout the book of Ephesians and the power of God that is transforming the church there in Ephesus to do incredible things. I mean, as you read ahead in the book of Ephesians, you see the power of God on display, the power of God to enable believers to do good works. You see the power of God on display in overcoming uh, disunity and bringing together a church in unity under the gospel. You see the power of God on display as he's developing a people who have patience and humility and gentleness towards one another. You see the power of God on display in allowing the love of Christ to benefit the entire community. You see the power of God on display in overcoming spiritual forces of darkness. You see the power of God on display in developing Christ-centered relationships in the family and in the workplace. I think we need those same things today. We just need to see what God is doing. There on your outline, I've given you some application questions, but your one thing for this week, the one thing I'd ask you to do is simply to pray. If you find yourself like me, easily discouraged, easily feeling hopeless, easily losing sight of what God is doing, I wanna ask that you would pray that he would give us as a church eyes to see what he is doing. That the power of God is still at work even in a dark world. That the power of God is still at work. That he's not surprised He's not caught off guard. He's not frantically in heaven trying to figure out what his plan B is. He's still in control. So maybe when you read the news this week and you start to lose hope, pray that God would give you eyes to see what he's doing. So back to Cracker Barrel. Judah had the hope of my promise to buy him something. He had the riches of my credit card at his disposal. He had the power of a Mickey Mouse helicopter. But there was more than met the eye. Because not only was this a battery-powered helicopter, the sugar at the very bottom, once it entered Judah's bloodstream, it changed him. (laughs) It impacted him. And his life was not the same. He just had to see what was there, what was available to him. And likewise, Paul prays for those in Ephesus that they would see the hope, the riches, the power of God, the same power of God that resurrected, ascended, installed, established Jesus, that that same power of God was available and at work in Ephesus. He prays that they would see it, know it, experience it, live it. And the same is true for you and for me. We just need to pray that God would give us the eyes to see, that he would wake us up to see that he's still in control, his power's still at work in the church, through the church, for the church. To close, I want to do something new that we're going to do in the coming weeks. I'm going to pray, which isn't new, but then I'm going to give you 30, 45, maybe 60 seconds for a time of reflection. A time just in the quietness of your own heart as the band comes on stage as we sing out our closing song for you simply to just pray and say, God, 
you know, how do you want me to apply this in my life? Spirit, how are you going to empower me to live for Jesus this week? Just a few moments of stillness where you can ask God to enlighten your eyes, to see where he's at work, to see what he's calling you towards in a step of obedience. So let me pray, and we'll have a time of just quiet reflection. Father, thank you that you're still at work. Father, thank you that our hope, our inheritance, your power is still at work today. Father, I confess, we confess, that sometimes we fail, we fall short. We don't allow our hope to influence the present. We don't allow our future inheritance to to influence the present. We don't allow your power at work today to impact how we live. And so, Father, I ask, I pray that by your Spirit, you would remind us of these things. That we would not just know them intellectually, but we would live them out in our day-to-day life. We would live our lives in such a way that we are secure in your calling on our life. That we have a great inheritance awaiting us and that your power, the power of the Spirit is still at work even in the midst of a dark world. Give us that hope. Give us that confidence. Give us that assurance, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.